somebody from my background, I mean, if you had told me years ago I'd be here now, I would not have believed you, but I'm a living example that, that you can do anything you put your mind to. Welcome to the Bluff Podcast, where you get the bottom line up front and we won't waste your time. Welcome. Hello, everybody out there. I'd want to say uh, thank you for tuning in to uh, the Bluff Line, better known as the bottom line up front. Again, I'm your host, Command Sergeant Major Jimenez, here on episode nine to bring you some information, talk to you a little bit about uh, what we got going on, and also introduce a special guest that we got on the show for you today. Again, it it's been a pretty busy week in Fe- or I'm not week. It's been a pretty busy month in the month of February. We've done a lot of things in this month from going through our Super Bowl weekend, which we were able to bring uh, back uh, from this country. Of course, because of COVID-19, so many things have shaped out differently. But, you know, it, it brought some normalcy to see a Super Bowl. And then also, you know, as we leaned into uh, President's Day weekend, uh, we were able to take a little bit of a breather there. You know, we're celebrating some observances there. Also with uh, Engineer Week on us, uh, I wanted to take an opportunity to really talk and bring you one of our uh, special guests to the show. It's one of our very own uh, engineers here at Redstone Arsenal. Uh, His name is Jason Braxton. Before I bring him onto the show and let him uh, unleash and go ahead and talk to you guys a little bit about what he does and where he's from and kind of his story of what it takes to be an engineer. I want to kind of go over what what it's what it is uh, an engineer week and how it was established where it was established. Uh, of course, obviously, uh, with this engineer week, it's a celebration of National Engineers, uh, which was started in 1951 uh, by the National Society of Professional Engineers in conjunction with President George Washington's birthday. President Washington is considered as the nation's first engineer, notably by his uh, survey work. So with, th- with that being said, I just want to say, you know, it's a privilege and an honor to be able to introduce my guest, uh, Mr. Uh, Jason Braxton, to the show to talk a little bit about him. Uh, and, and it's in tune with Engineers Week because he is an engineer. With that being said, you know, Jason, I- I'll hand it over to you to uh, kind of introduce yourself and maybe give us a little bit of a background about you. Hello, everyone. It's, it's a pleasure to be here. I'm also very humble, you know, and, and speaking of humble, uh, you know, I guess I'll start with my background. You know, I grew up in Birmingham, Alabama, uh, and it was a relatively low-income neighborhood. You know, I grew up in a single-family home. I had two brothers and one sister. All three brothers joined the military. Uh, so, you know, I winded up joining the military in like the, the 11th grade of high school. And so I joined, I planned to join the Army, Army Reserves. And, you know, I do, went into to chemical. I was a chemical operations specialist. And I, I joined the reserves, went to basic training. And around 90, 91, Desert Storm kicked off. And lo and behold, as soon as I graduated AIT, I was shipped off to Desert Storm. So when I came home, decided I may as well go active duty. Uh, there was not, nothing but trouble at home. And by then, 
you know, it's something about joining the military, especially basic training AIT. You learn a lot of things. You know, they teach you how to take care of yourself, how to be accountable, responsible. So that that played a huge part in me growing up and letting go of some of the bad decisions and perspectives I had on life and things of that nature. Anyway, went active duty, and you know, I, I just kind of grew from there. You know, I eventually became an NCO. You know, and, and the Army taught me a lot of things. I give a lot of credit to the military. They played a huge part in the, in the person I am today. So I stayed in the military for like six years, uh, and then I got out from Germany, came home. I had some family issues, so I thought it best to just get out at that time. But it, it wasn't it wasn't well thought out because I got out without a college degree, right? And I had a family. With saying that, and you know, I I just wanted to chime in because it's. It's really familiar to the story that I kind of lived. And, uh, you know, one, I, I want to say uh, thank you for the service that you gave to, to our country and joining the United States Army. And uh, to see you now, I mean, I, to me, it's, you know, a soldier for life. You know, once you're a soldier, always a soldier. And I, I want to say thank you for your service. And it's really humbling to see all the civilian workforce here at Redstone Arsenal as a green suitor still and see how hard they work and see the efforts that they put in to help the soldiers still accomplishing their mission. It, it, it was an eye-opener to see the other side of it, to, to see how hard you guys work. But really, you know, when you became a soldier, what, you know, I know you kind of talked a little bit about it. You said it was kind of like a family thing because I used to be a former recruiter, and I just want to make sure a recruiter didn't lie to you or nothing like that. But it, it's really having an understanding what made you make that transition to say you know what uh i want to join the army mm-hmm. or i want to be part of that team well i mean I, I can tell you it wasn't a well well i didn't put a lot of uh, a lot of effort and thought into it as i would think one would take you know uh, part of it was by circumstance meaning I, my best friend you know we went in high school and we didn't want to go to class that day, and, and behold, they were giving the ASVAB in the lunchroom. So if you want to go, you, know, you want to skip this class, go take the ASVAB. That's what we did. So I didn't take, put a lot of thought into the ASVAB. I took the test and just, you know, went through it. And uh, we, they told us about the buddy system. So you, you can join on the buddy. He said, man, let's join on the buddy system. We'll be together. I said, okay, let's do it. Mm-hmm. And that's what happened. And I winded up joining, but found out he wasn't old enough at the time. And, you know, I was, you know, had a date to go to basic training. And he said, well, you're going to get out? And I said, no, I'm already committed now. I'm going to stay with it. So that's, that's what I did. No, I hear you. And uh, I, I think it's, it's a great story because, uh, you know, when I think back of, of me as well, you know, when I joined in, in 93, I was, I was thinking along the same lines. I, to me, I, I don't think I was ready for, for college. Um, I needed to get out of that neighborhood I was in, just the kind of lifestyle that was going on. Uh, and I wanted a change, and I knew I want, wanted more for myself, even though maybe back then, like you said, I didn't know, but in the back of my mind, I knew there was a little bit more out there for me besides whatever what was going on, uh, and I knew there was kind of a dead end to what was going on if I stayed there. Right. Yeah, and, you know, one of the great things about the military, too, was, you know, I always had a sense of knowing, you know, the military gave you everything. You can go in there pretty much naked. You know, they can give you clothes, somewhere to stay, feed you. You had NCOs mainly. You know, you had officers, but NCOs were like your your mother and father away from home. They took care of you, you know. 
Uh, and in the back of my mind, I always knew I had that. So when I hit that dead space, you know, when I came back from Desert Storm and trying to decide what do I want to go, what do I want to do, you know, that's why I decided I knew I can turn back to the military and be okay. And, and like you said, so I made it to get me out of the environment I was in. I'd be in a safer place and I can better myself. So, yeah. Now, I mean, you know, in saying that, you, you, you had your journey in the Army. At what point do you think you were like, okay, well, the Army, I've gotten – you know, where I'm good with the Army and I, I maybe want to transition into to, uh, something different. At the time, you know, the circumstances in my life kind of put me in a situation where I really didn't have a choice but to get out, you know. But up until that, that instance, I was, I was destined to be a soldier for life. You know, I right. wanted to be the right. best I could be. My, you know, back then you had the spit shine boots yep. and the box hat and press. Yep. And I mean, I was all of that. You right. know, I was like. <laughs> Most definitely. I think we all live that. <laughs> yeah. Kind of miss it a little bit. Yeah, absolutely. It's all, yeah, and then the camaraderie and, the, you know, the accountability, you know, especially the folks who are in leadership, you, you'll see when you get out, there's sort of a, you, you still look for that. You know, and sometimes that's not easy to find on the civilian side right. as it is on the military side. So, no, I think that's that's good. That's that's great to hear that uh, that story of you know, there's camaraderie there, and then when you leave it, thinking uh, you're gonna go out, the, you still miss it a little bit, mm -hmm. and then you get to the point where look, I'm out of the service. What do I do? You know, what's next? And can you tell us a little bit about you know, once you were s you were done on that last day of wearing the green suit you know when you can start to grill your beard out like you got and you know that's what i look look forward to one of these days to grow my beard out uh when i transition out you know what made you start thinking okay now i gotta you know plan the school you know what what was that next thought well you know i, I was kind of that this the instance that happened I, I got out on a hardship discharge it was honorable discharge right. and at the time i was in germany okay. you know uh, I, put, I even put in a, a request to be compassionately reassigned closer to home at that time. Aniston, you know, uh, was open, and that's what that was a chemical pulse. That's what I did. So I wanted to go there to get everything under control, and then I would have went anywhere the military would have sent me, you know. But unfortunately, it didn't work that way. So I had a had a choice to make: Are you gonna forget about what you got going on at home, and you know, or vice versa? So I chose. Well, I did, I, got, I chose family. Hey, life happens, right? Sometimes life has a vote, and uh, we adjust fire. And that's, I guess, that's a good trait to have, especially you know, being a soldier, we're, we're able to adapt and, and overcome situations sometimes that that we're faced with, you know. And I'm sure y you, uh, Jason, as well as a lot of us have uh, out there that have uh, met, you know, circumstances that we've had to adjust fire, and uh, you know, we overcome those things. One of the things that I want to kind of pick your brain on was, you know the college selection. You picked the college, you know, and uh, I'm sure you'll tell us a little bit about where, what college you went to and mm -hmm. just how was college, get, how was adjustment into college life, how was, you know, what college you go to, that type of stuff. That's a big question. <laughs> you know, first of all, you know, the, the circumstance I was under caused me to uh, aim higher, you know, reach for more challenging goals. I, I tried my hand at a lot of different things when I got out, you know, but you know, again, I had a wife and and three kids at that time because when I got out, my wife was pregnant. I didn't have an education and I'm getting coming home from Germany. We all had to move in with my mother-in-law. 
So every time you hear one of those kids cry, it's like, what are you gonna do? Yeah. You make eight bucks an hour, you know, you, that ain't enough. You're gonna be staying here, you don't wanna, you know, you gotta. So anyway, I, I, I worked all kinds of jobs from digging ditches to washing dishes to you name it, I, I probably did it, you know. Till, you know, eventually, you know, and a lot of it goes back to the military, right? You know, you know yourself and you seek self-improvement. That, that's one of the things that sort of drove me, right? So I'm working these places and you surround sometimes, not speaking badly about you know, anybody, but sometimes you're in an environment where people are just not looking to better themselves, right? That they're comfortable where they are. And that always bothered me, you know, like, so you okay, you know, just doing this to you for 30 years. I, I'm not, this is not, so I could do better. So I went back to junior college first and I, I wanted to go into electronics engineering technology. I got an associate's degree in that, but that wasn't enough. You know, I graduated, I didn't have any experience, you know, to, so nobody would give me a job. So I'm going to interviews and I'm like, just give me a chance. I could do anything, right? I would study that, just give me a chance. Nobody would do it. So uh, that's sort of why I decided to go back to school. But right. you know, thank God I had the GI Bill, right? And that, <laughs> that helped me out because I was able to provide for my family and also afford my college tuition, which was awesome, you know. So I went to UAB, uh, yeah, and one day I was, I was driving down the street, uh, University Boulevard in Birmingham, in front of the business engineering complex, right? They had just built it, and right. it looked so fancy, and I'm passing by, I'm thinking to myself, you know, I bet you they do some tough stuff in there, you know, I could uh -huh. never see myself there doing that. And God laughed, you know, because it wasn't long mm -hmm. till uh, I, I don't know, how I, you know, I wanted to, since I was chemical in the military, I wanted to go into something similar, and I knew I wanted to challenge myself, so I aimed as high as I can aim, you know, and I wasn't sure whether I was going to hit that target or not, you know, but, you know, thank God I did, right? I hit that target. I ain't saying it was easy, but, you know, I hit it, so. Um. No, that's pretty neat, and, uh, you know, I, I one, I want to thank you for telling us our, a little bit about your story and, your, and how we got to where we're at, you know, and that's get, seeing that complex in, in the engineer building out there and then saying, hey, look, I'm going to dive into something, you know. I mean, you set goals and you keep keep on going until you get to where you need to get to, and uh, that that is a testament to, to where, where you stand now and, you know, some of the environment you've been exposed to, you know, be it the military, be it some of the uh, challenges you might have faced. I think that's good, you know, and uh, – as we lean, lean into, uh, you know, talking a little bit about Engineer Week and your accomplishments here, I just want you to, to, the listeners to know and understand, you know, when you went into environmental, uh, what made you kind of look at, you know, because there's so many engineering jobs out there, what made you want to look at and kind of dive into environmental engineering? Well, it, it, was a, it was a transition, you know, I was, since I was chemical in the military, you know, and I, I thought I was the best chemical NCO that ever, you know, yeah. I prided myself on that. So uh, when I got out and I did these odd jobs, I did a lot of, like, environmental cleanup jobs for st staffing companies, you know. And an and engineer, you know, in Aniston had his own company. He needed some work and somebody to come and do even labor. I, I do that, you know. So... Uh, I kind of developed an interest in environmental from doing that kind of work, you know. 
uh, and it was sort of a bridge between my military career and what was coming on the civilian side. Talking about Engineer Week, you know, again, uh, you as an environmental engineer, you know, I, I kind of looked up what it meant, but I'll let you talk to us a little bit about, you know, what an environmental engineer actually does. You know, I mean, I kind of looked up a, a definition of an engineer and, and it shot out at me at, and it says someone who uh, solves a problem you didn't know you had in a way you don't understand. <laughs> so that's the engineers, you know, out there just making it happen, right? So, I mean, you know, can you tell the audience a little bit about an environmental engineer and, and maybe what your role is here at, at Redstone Arsenal? Absolutely. Uh, you know, environmental engineering is a, a it can be, it's a very broad topic. Or discipline, and it is a subdiscipline of civil engineering, um, and so you you can you can choose to specialize in a particular area of environmental engineering, like energy or you know hazardous waste or you know, what have you. There's different there's different areas in that, but you know our engineers are problem solvers, right? We're we're, we're just sort of wired that way. Uh, and my wife tell me that all the time. She just want me to listen, and I'm figuring out how to, you right. know, how we're gonna fix this. <laughs> right. So, uh, with that being said, you know, in environmental engineers, uh, at, at least what what I do on the environmental side is I make sure that we're in compliance with all the state and federal environmental regulations, whether it's you know greenhouse gas releases or air pollution or water pollution, you know, or solid and hazardous waste disposal, you know, things of that nature. We just make sure that we're able to operate as a facility or wherever you may work as an environment engineer, you make sure that facility is able to operate and still make a profit while still in compliance with environmental regulations and nobody goes to jail, which is a big part of the job. No, that's, that's great, man. And before I let you go, you know, I, I just want to one, I, I want to thank all our engineers out there, you know, as we're uh, in Engineer Week. You know, it, it's good to have and talk to one of our own. Uh, he is human. <laughs> he is an engineer, and he's one of our own garrison employees uh, and team members. So, you know, I mean, it's, it was great to, to have you on board to, to tell our listeners a little bit about what you do, you know, a little bit about, you know, where you came from. Sometimes, you know, we just think, hey, engineers, poof, it happens. But... Mm -hmm. You know, sometimes there's a struggle and there's, there's a story to be told, you know, to, to say, here's where I got. But, you know, there's always a start point in the, in, in the middle, you know, and a lot of, a lot of times people don't understand that. Uh, and I'll add to that, too, to, to, to encourage anybody out there, you know, you, you can do anything you put your mind to. You know, if you, if you work hard, I mean, look at me, <laughs> look at me, right? Uh, it, it didn't come easy, but I did it, you know, and even being a licensed professional engineer was the furthest thing from my mind, you know, but that's the highest you can go in this discipline, you know. So somebody from my background, I mean, if you had told me years ago I'd be here now, I would not have believed you, but I'm a living example that, that you can do anything you put your mind to. Most definitely, man. And I, I would tell you that, uh, you know, a lot of us share that same story. Uh, you know, if I told you uh, that I might be a garrison command sergeant major for Redstone Arsenal, mm -hmm. coming from El Paso, you know, when I was 19, I'd be like, man, there's no way, I w there's no way I can fathom that, you know. Uh, but there is stories to be told out there, and uh, 
you know, by all means, I if you're out there listening and want me to talk to other people or interview other people and uh, bring them onto the show or, or, or answer any questions that you may have out there, by all means, uh, shoot me an email, reach out to me, and uh, we'll, get the, we'll reach out to see if we can get those people on. Uh, before I let you go, Jason, I mean, you know, if you can tell listeners maybe a story or uh, something that uh, you've experienced being uh, an environmental uh, engineer um, that you've experienced. Well, I tell you, <laughs> um, one of the one of the, the best things I think ever happened to me, and I, I get questions like this a lot, like how do you avoid getting pigeonholed, you know? Uh, but I had a good a good boss who gave me my first job as an engineer, right? And I worked for that guy for eight years, and I was still good friends to this day. But he told me when he hired me, you know, first of all, you know, he interviewed a few folks, but I followed up from the email, you know, was, you know, through an email, and I told him, you know, I appreciate the opportunity, things like that. And he said that was his his decision maker, you know, that's why he chose me, right? But the second thing he did was when he brought me on, he said, I'm not going to just give you one thing to do. I'm going to give you multiple things to do. And, and so this guy, he just let me just run free throughout the facility. Now, the facility was like a little city, you know. And so, yeah, and it, so he, he used, I like to solve problems. I like challenges. So he just let me just run out and, and just... So I'm out there in ditches with pH meters, and I'm doing, you know, and I'm asking him for money, you know, to do things. And he let me have fun with that. And that, that piqued my interest and kept me going, you know, and I think I grew a lot through that process. So that's one of the greatest things I have, I think. Hey, solving yeah. problems yeah. people didn't know they had. <laughs> <laughs> that was that you out there making it happen. Yeah. Hey, again, uh, Mr. Jason Braxton, thank you for uh, coming on to the podcast and just giving us a little insight on – on uh, engineers uh, and uh, and yourself, you know, a little background. You know, I, as I Googled again, like, you know, I, I go to Google and so <laughs> they can answer me some questions. Some of the top engineering jobs out there, I mean, you talk about electrical engineering, chemical mm -hmm. engineering, computer, mm -hmm. you know, aerospace engineering, mm -hmm. health and safety engineering, and you know what? Environmental and agriculture engineering was there too as well. And uh, mm -hmm. I'm glad I got this opportunity to, to uh, talk to you a little bit and let mm -hmm. our listeners uh, get to know a little bit of insight of what it takes to be an environmental engineer. So by all means, if you're out there, you know, uh, sky's the limit. Don't don't uh, put any um, blockages on the, what you're dreaming on and uh, continue to push forward. And uh, thank you for coming on to the show. Thanks for having me. Welcome everybody to our mailbag segment here uh, to bring you some of our uh, latest uh, call-ins and mail-in issues on uh, what we can uh, answer. I know we've got a couple of uh, things that we got going on. Uh, Jonathan, uh, I'll pass it over to you on some of those uh, mailbags that we got going. Thank you, Sergeant Major. Well, we've got uh, we got one mailbag question in, but be before we get to that, I heard you had a little experience the other day at the commissary when you were trying to go in and think you were getting some syrup for some pancakes. But, but why don't you tell people about that real quick? Sure, yeah, I'll, I'll talk a little bit about that. It, it was quite a unique experience that I had. Uh, you know, it was on a Sunday morning. I woke up kind of early. Was uh, We were making some breakfast and kind of discovered that I needed some syrup. So, you know, you can't have uh, pancakes without syrup. So I decided to uh, run to the co to our local commissary here 
and uh, you know, jumped in the in the car, and I worked my way over to the commissary. And uh, you know, as as you look at different parking spots that are set all around the installation, you kind of look at the handicap areas. You kind of you know you just kind of ensure you kind of follow those rules. It's just one of those given things that we do, right? So, you know, of course, there's a spot for a CSM. And uh, I pulled into that spot, uh, walked into the commissary. It just opened up to get me uh, some syrup and walk out and go enjoy my breakfast, right? And then I, uh, you know, made my payment, came back out, and lo and behold, to find a, uh, a little card on my, uh, on my windshield of my car. And, uh, you know, I, I thought for a second, well, maybe it's someone advertising something and trying to you know, get a, a, a coupon or a discount or something. But I, I pulled the card, I jumped in my in my car, and I started to drive off. I got I pulled into my house, and decided to look at it. You know, I threw it on the on the other passenger uh, seat, and then finally, when I got home, I, I looked at it right, and it was a uh, pretty interesting little card that said, "Hey, if you are not a command sergeant major or sergeant major, you know, for Air Force, Marines, Navy, I mean, you name it, don't park here, right?" you need to be a sergeant major to park in this parking spot. So, I mean, I don't know if I <laughs> didn't have the the car that fit what a command sergeant major should be driving or, or I, you know, I don't have stickers on my car that say I'm, here I am, I'm a sergeant major. But, you know, I was a little taken back. Right, so let's unpack that a little bit because there's a couple things there. Because... After you told me the story, I went and I talked to a few other people, and apparently whoever does these cards, right. they've been doing it for a while. Really? Okay. And, you know, it's someone out there who just kind of polices those spots. So you're saying we got some parking police. I, I guess so. But, you know, I mean, I, I wonder, like, is the guy just sitting in the parking lot, and, like, did he see you get out of your truck and walk in and just say to himself, oh, that's not a sergeant major? Or is he just driving by and he sees your car and he's like, Sergeant Major wouldn't drive that car. I mean, what exactly does a Sergeant Major look like and what do they drive? That That's what right. I want to know. Well, I mean, uh, you know, does a Sergeant Major drive a truck? Does he drive an SUV? Does he drive a car? Does he drive a motorcycle? Well, I mean, I've driven a little bit of all, right? So I, I got a, a variety of vehicles. Uh, you know, obviously a, a SAR major, command SAR major, might not be in uniform 24/7, even though we're a soldier 24/7. Uh, so yeah, I was not in my uniform, but it still doesn't negate the fact that I'm, you know, uh, a soldier and a command SAR major in the United States Army. Well, now those parking spots aren't those parking spots for active and retired? They are. So so yeah, it, you can't tell by uniform. No. And now look. I've seen a number of, of sergeant majors that are retired, and, you know, they'll have – you just kind of know because they're either wearing a hat that says command sergeant major right. or they've got a sticker somewhere, you know. And, and, look, that's something to be proud of. That That's an accomplishment. Right. I, I don't know how prevalent that is among people. And, you know, it may be like a generational thing. Like, you know, maybe that an older generation or, or the previous – uh, sergeant majors uh, after they retire you know they kind of they want to put that out there and they want to want to advertise that hey I did this mm -hmm. and I, I think you know like people people my age people your age we don't we don't advertise as much uh, 
like, oh, we did this or oh, we, you know. Right now, you know, one, I'm a humble guy, and uh, and I, I can tell you, there's so many up uh, leaders previous and past that are humble as well. We're prideful uh, individuals as well. So yes, by all means, I. I will probably have one of those retired hats when I retire that says retired Sergeant Major, Command Sergeant Major, you know, uh, or proud of your branch that you served in. Um, I just don't like to put stickers on my car. It, it's just, you know, one of those things that I don't like to do. Of course, others do. And, uh, you know, obviously to me, I, w I don't think I'd park in a uh, GO's parking because I'm not a GO. And, uh, you know, I always kind of usually see those parkings too, and I kind of let it be for somebody else. Mm -hmm. uh, I don't generally park there all the time because, you know, I know there's retired command sergeant majors that, that could probably use that park in or, or there's other command sergeant majors on, on the installation too or sergeant majors that, that can use that parking. But that morning I was I was in and out, you know, so I figured, well, you know, why not? So I parked in the spot that I'm, you know, set up for, I guess, if you want to say it. And uh, <laughs> it was just kind of uh, interesting to see that police uh, or parking lot police appointee uh, putting a sticker, a, a little sticker on my car. And uh, I kind of, you know, I'd definitely be interested in going back and seeing who, who that was. Or yeah, I'd, I'd to like to see his, his or her side of what they view as a command sergeant major or sergeant majors. Right, yeah, I, th I think it'd be fun to talk to them. Yeah. Also, I kind of think that's kind of the most command sergeant major thing to do. Right. You know? <laughs> <I> <laughs> right. It's also funny that you hardly ever use those spots, and the one time you do, yeah, you know, so I get policed up, yeah, <laughs> and it's a parking spot for his arm major or commands arm major, right? Yeah. So you know, and that, and that's it. That's why you, you kind of look at him like, man, you know, really? Uh, come on, you know, what makes you the identifier of a sergeant major or a command sergeant major? You know, I'd like to talk to you and let you know that, you know, we all got a different look. <laughs> we don't all look the same. And we're not in uniform or, you know, I mean, you might even have a, someone that's got a full beard, retired Sergeant Major, you know. Right. And I'm pretty sure your picture's on the wall in the commissary. Yeah. Yeah. My picture's up there at the commissary and at the exchange and other various locations. Yeah. <laughs> Which makes it even more interesting <laughs> to get that sticker if they, if they saw me get out of the vehicle. Right. Yeah. So let's move on. We, we've got one mailbag question in this week. Well, before we get to that, why don't you tell people if they want to send in a question for you to answer, where to send it to? Okay. No, but, you know, I, thank you for uh, letting me <laughs> express that one. I just had to get it out. But, uh, you know, by all means, if you have something that you want to talk about uh, in our mailbag segment, please send me an email at uh, juan.p.jimenez.mil at mail.mil. And, uh, and give us something to talk about. I think it's uh, it's interesting to, the the fact that we're able to push this out and reach out to to people and and really talk about things that might be on their mind, uh, especially in this uh, mailbag section. Um, yeah, that's how you can reach me. Reach out. Good deal. So today's question is it it came in and it was someone asking. They go, why don't people have to wear a mask in their car? Especially when they're like approaching the gate or something like that, you know, because you're going to roll the window down and, you know, I, I don't think you're six feet away from that guard whenever you're, you know, whenever you're going through and they're scanning your car and, and all of that. But they, they were just curious about that. Now, uh, 
that is a good question you know why why don't people wear it and uh you know there's i, I like to f put it like this we have continued to build this plane in in flight and, and what i say and what i mean is you know we have uh, adjusted and adapted to so many ways now that we've been dealing with this uh, coming up on a year almost uh this COVID-19 pandemic and uh you know initially it was you know stay away and then it was put a face cover or put a you know, uh, a certain type of mask on. And it was just so many versions of how we were uh, conducting business that we adapted uh, to every change. And, you know, if you're in a vehicle with someone other than the people that, you know, your close family members, it, you'd probably be good to wear a mask. You're, you're, you're within that six feet of distancing. But if you're in the, in the car by yourself, and I've seen it so many times, people wearing their masks, I got you. But at the same token, you know, as you're approaching the installation, uh, you know, it's still important for our guards to be able to identify you. So, you know, we, we might ask you to, or we, our guards might ask you to uh, drop your mask so we can see who you are coming into the installation. Or, uh, you know, with our new systems that we got out there, we got to be able to identify the uh, picture that comes up to the uh, person uh, in uh, driving the, the vehicle. And it sometimes makes it hard if uh, the only thing we can see is your is your eyeballs so you know that's one reason that you know we we ask you to, to, to bring down your mask and uh, you know I I don't see really the point if you're in the vehicle by yourself wearing your mask but uh, you know it is that it's really up to, to that person in there but if it's just you by yourself in the vehicle and it's your personal vehicle um, you know I don't, I don't wear a mask, but you know, everybody has a little bit of their own preference of what they want to do while, while they're in their vehicle, right? Sure. I mean, you know, you do you. If that's what makes you feel comfortable, yeah. then do it as long as you can breathe. Right. And you don't, uh, you know, you don't pass out behind the wheel or anything. No, I got you. And, uh, you know, I think as we got new guidance and we continue to uh, refine things, you know, it, it kind of talks about about it here it talks about all individuals on military installations and all individuals performing official duties on behalf of the department from any location other than individuals home will follow CDC guidelines and practice physical distancing specifically by staying at least six feet right so you know obviously if you can't stay six feet we want you to be uh, protected um, our guards are wearing a, a face covering you know, so if, if you have to drop off, uh, drop down your uh, face covering momentarily to, to get a visual inspection, our guards have their mask on, so we're, we're, we're being safe. Right, and that's the thing. That first of all, you know, the mask is, it, it doesn't protect you. It protects the other person. And, you know, with what, what just came out from the DOD, it takes the application of a little bit of common sense. Right. And... You know, you can go by the letter of the law, and, and that's great if that's what you want to do. Right. But, uh, you know, I, I think we all, you know, everyone needs to be a little patient with each other. I was talking to a lady the other day, and, and she hates the mask. Mm -hmm. She can't stand it, right. but she still wears it. Right. A and that's kind of, you know, that's what we need. That we need people to just kind of do their part, do their thing, and, and we'll get through this. No, you're absolutely right. I think, you know, we've been dealing with this for a year, like I said earlier, and to me it's this cloud of anxiety, cloud of, uh, you know, uh, frustration, and it, we are going through so many emotions, you know, 
mentally, physically, spiritually, I mean, you name it, we're in this cloud, right? And, and I visualize an aircraft as, as it's taken off and going through some turbulence as it's climbing, you know, you, you're shaking around a little bit, you're, you're, you know, the plane's a little frustrated, but, uh, you know, I encourage everybody to, to continue to climb, you know, continue to look for the good stuff, continue to, to, to um, you know, see what's out there. And, and to me, that's, uh, I visually see us continuing to climb and get better and get better till we pass all that turbulence and we find that smooth air. Uh, and, and that's really a testament to what everybody on Redstone and in our community has done. And that's, you know, and sometimes it's hard to, to follow some rules, right? But you guys have done it, and uh, and my hats off to you guys for wearing your mask when needed to be, being courteous out there, and uh, you know some might not uh, really want to put it on, but you still do, and we thank you for that. And you know now with the vaccine coming around, it, it's it's helping us out, but it, we're still not out of the water. There's a little bit of turbulence there still, so continue to climb and be positive, uh, continue to be patient. You know, um, you know that golden rule, uh, just let's just do our part to get through this and i know there's a lot of frustrated people out there there's, there's different emotions out there uh, but be strong with it so we can get through it and i want to say thank you everybody to, to tuning in to the mailbag and uh, again send in what you want to talk about bye-bye now